Welcome, everyone, to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. I am Paul Neefer, your host, and today I'm actually going to bring in somebody that, uh, uh, as he, as we have this discussion, he's probably uh, you know sitting about five miles away from where I'm at. So he's a he's a Walla Walla not native, but lives in Walla Walla, Washington, which is where I'm ba- based today. So we're going to welcome in Curtis Evananko. How Curtis? How are things going? Things are going well. We're uh, knee deep in acreage reporting, but uh, that too will have an end. So thank you for having me on, Paul. Well, and and, and Curtis, you do have a Ukrainian background, and we're going to go ahead and discuss uh, sort of the conflict going on over there. But, uh, uh, you know, describe how your name, your last name would actually be done if you were in Ukraine right now. Well, the what I've learned is that there's no V uh, consonant, if you will, in the Ukrainian language, and that's actually a W. So I'm told that uh, as they came over, uh, my great-grandparents, that uh, as they gave the name at uh, immigration, they fell a, or a person that taken it, converted it from a, a W to a V. I don't know if I got lazy or couldn't read his penmanship, but uh, I'm told it should be Ewanenko. Uh, okay. As opposed okay. to Evan and Co. So. Well, and that's even like my background a little bit. Uh, you know, our family goes by Neifer, but about half the family, uh, primarily back in the Midwest, goes by Neifer. And I've not done a lot of genealogy, but I've been to Germany and so on many, many times. And I remember the times I went back, and this is in the late 70s, early 80s, I would actually go to the major cities, open up the phone book and look for a Nefer, and I never found one. So I have a feeling when we, when my great-grandparents immigrated over here uh, that our original name might not have been Nefer. So that's that's just a, just, just a guess on my part. I'd say it's probably accurate that there is, uh, again, in the rush of, of immigration, I'm sure many, uh, many names were shortened, changed, or uh, I guess that's maybe where um, uh, shorthand came in, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And then on my mom's side, the, my grandfather immigrated from Norway back in the early 1900s, and their family name over there was Figilinson, and they shortened oh, it to Filin. So, you know, that's sure, uh, sure. So that was actually probably a good thing, not a bad thing. So, yeah, indeed. indeed. <laughs> but, well, Curtis, why don't we start off with uh, your background? Again, you are in the uh, primarily in the insurance with an emphasis on crop insurance, but uh, give us your your background, where you grew up, went to school, all, all that good stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, as indicated, we're primary uh, insurance crop related. My background stems from originally I uh, grew up on a farm in central North Dakota, a predominantly livestock uh, centered operation. We had beef cattle, we had dairy. Uh, we also grew some cash crops of wheat, durum, flax, and sunflowers, uh, but primarily the focus was producing uh, feedstuff for the uh, for the animals. And then uh, being a, a smart teenage boy like most of us are, I decided I need to leave the family, leave uh, leave North Dakota. I went to school down at uh, in Lincoln, uh, attended the College of Knowledge, graduated there during the heyday of Husker football. Um, after that, went back to uh, return back to North Dakota, got married, 
I uh, was on the farm for a couple of years. The drought years of 87 through 89 uh, changed the ability to successfully be on the farm. Let me, just, I guess, say it that way, perhaps. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, and then um, at that same time, I took an uh, off-farm job. It was on the farm, but had an off-farm job to supplement uh, with a crop insurance company traveling as a, uh, a field rep for basically western North Dakota and northwestern South Dakota. And after a couple of years, I got a job promotion uh, in the Spokane office for the company. And uh, we looked at, uh, frankly, what the opportunities were for the kids. We had two uh, young children at the time, and the high school I graduated from was projected to have class sizes of two and three uh, <laughs> within five years when the girls would have been in school. And we said, well, realistically, the future and opportunity for them, uh, education-wise, is probably not locally. And so we took the opportunity, moved to Spokane. Uh, I would have been... Matter of fact, it was uh, Thanksgiving weekend that came out that Friday of uh, 1989. Okay, okay. I, uh, you know, speaking at class size of two or three, my, my mother graduated from Hay Washington High School. Let's see, that would have been about 1941. And her class size was three. She was the only girl in the class, and the other two boys were related to her. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, definitely I understand uh, what you're talking about there. So that was and 1989. That makes, that makes uh, dates for the prom a little difficult. Yeah, and uh, and and actually, my mother, uh, she did not speak English until she went into uh, grade school. Uh, the, the whole family grew up speaking Norwegian until you know eventually. Because she was the oldest of 12 kids. So sure. by the time I think the fourth or fifth kid was along, you know, everybody was speaking English. But uh, she, she would still speak Norwegian to me, and I would just pretend like I understood what she was saying. So Nod, nod your head and smile. Mm -hmm. yeah, similar at, at home. My grandfather, unfortunately, passed when I was, uh, was nine. And um, uh, prior to that, I mean, uh, he talked, again, Peruski is what we'd call it back home again, just slang for, for Ukrainian language. But realistically, he, he spoke English, but pr predominantly uh, he spoke with, with my father and, and uh, his two girls, my aunts. Everything was, was in Ukrainian, was in Peruski. And, and that's how I picked up some words, but unfortunately, when he passed, uh, my, my grandmother didn't speak it fluently. I mean, she spoke it, but she didn't use that as a primary language. And we didn't, um, I guess that's one thing that I wish we would maybe kind of sustain, just keeping that, uh, that language and, and, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your history of sorts. So, yeah, 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 no. And, and that's, I guess, uh, speaking of that's the one thing I, I regret a little bit about my father, you know, my mom's side, I understood because uh, we had more relatives around, I was able to get more of that verbal history from the relatives, whereas my dad's side, the nearest relative was about oh, two hours away. And so I didn't get all that verbal history, especially about my dad's background and, and so on and so, so forth. So I sort of missed that, but, uh, uh, but you know, life goes on and we just have to deal with, uh, with what we have. That's it. You, uh, that's, that's exactly right. You know, it's interesting uh, talking about uh, when I introduce myself or name and they, you know, question it and just flashback here thinking, um, you know, growing up looking at the old phone book 
the number of, of Ukrainian names. Again, it was a settlement uh, as they came in. They came in on train. And the, the story goes that they got off where they got off in part because the first people that came uh, that settled from the the community had run out of money and we're about you know realistically 60 miles due east of the Bakken reserve and i always wonder like okay if they could have stayed on the train for another day <laughs> would they have settled on anyway but the phone book is plumb full of of ukrainian names i mean mikolenko perkostenko yekashenko letvinenko kanko anyway it just goes on and on and on and, and you, you you share that with people and they're just like huh really yeah. So, so anyway, for for the Ukrainian the Ukrainian surnames, the, so if it ends in that like E N K O or something similar to that, that that tells you right away that it's a Ukrainian name. Is that right? That that's my understanding. Yes, sir. Because uh, again, we had a strong Ukrainian settlement uh, of people in the area, and every one of them was E N K O. And and even my mother, I mean, excuse me, my grandmother's side on my dad's side was German, but they immigrated from Odessa, which was, you know, part of Ukraine. There was a huge, I guess, German yes. settlement in that area that m- immigrated over here in the 1870s, 1880s, 1890s to the Dakotas. So, well, so you, you ended up in Spokane. So you came out to what we sometimes jokingly refer to the Dakota people as God's country. Um, <laughs> So uh, that was 1989. Uh, how about after that uh, sta- uh, uh, time period? Yes. Yeah, so so uh, again, I was involved in the uh, crop insurance industry. Uh, again, primarily learning the ropes. I mean, I, I think I cut my teeth as indicated in, in Western North Dakota and, and uh, Northwestern South Dakota. Uh, did the same out here, traveling as 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 a company rep. Um, you know, on the wholesale side, primarily being a, a representative of the company to the agents. Uh, to the agency force, you know, helping uh, answer questions, policy related, meeting with growers, uh, doing grower meetings, that type of thing. And uh, I did that until, uh, if memory serves, it was um, in the mid 90s and the company I was working for, actually I changed the job and I took a a manager role because I thought I was a big shot and knew everything and I could manage people. Well, that was Anyway, HR isn't my forte. Let's say it that way. <laughs> um, and, and anyway, so then I, I transferred to a different company. And uh, after a couple of years, they actually went through a merger. Uh, Norwest Bank, which ha- became Wells Fargo. Uh, yep. Actually, Norwest yep. the other way around. But Norwest was was uh, not as well recognized as Wells Fargo. Anyway, Wells Fargo owned a couple companies or, or came into acquisition of a couple companies. And the merger was just, it was a lot of headbutting. And uh, so I, I tapped out and I then spent seven years working for a, an equipment manufacturer that was uh, headquartered out of Saskatoon. The beauty of that is they had a U.S. operations that was 50 miles from where we grew up. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, so company trips uh, or, or sales meetings, oftentimes we, you know, take the rig back, drive back, take the family and spend time at the farm and, you know, take care of, uh, like I said, doing the, the employer stuff as well. So that was very convenient. And, and I loved the equipment side. Um, uh, at the time, everybody, well, and I think still everybody loves new paint. 
And yep. Yep. Uh, whereas, you know, they've got a piece of tangible product, whereas uh, the comparison, if you will, on uh, for, for me with an, with an insurance is you get a document that's a stack of paper and they're like, all right, I paid all this for that and I've got no fresh paint or, you know, nothing. It's not the same a feel good. How's that? Yeah, yeah. Well, remember, farmers have three genetic chips implanted at birth. Thou shall buy land, thou shall not pay taxes, and then thou shall buy as much green paint, red paint, yellow paint, whatever color paint they want. So, uh, uh, and I don't know which is the stronger genetic chip. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, strong for sure. Which 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 company, uh, equipment company was that? Uh, so, the name of it was Flexicoil, and then, uh, like I said, I, I worked for them for for. Uh, I think it was right at seven years. Again, I was traveling uh, the same area, stayed in the Northwest. Uh, I was traveling uh, also the Triangle of Montana. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what what precipitated the downfall there, for lack of a better definition, is um, at about year six, uh, C&H, Case New Holland, primarily New Holland, purchased Flexicoil. Mm-hmm. At the time, the... Uh, the family that that owned it, they were second generation going into third, and their philosophy was that the third generation had a tendency to lose the business, and they yeah. wanted to create a legacy of sorts. And so, also at the time, other manufacturers. So at the same time, uh, Flexicoil was manufacturing their air cards and putting green paint on it, and um, they knew that Deer was working on their own and they felt they needed sh- to have shelf space as, as an independent those days were probably numbered yep. so they wanted to align with a major carrier major manufacturer to to assure themselves shelf space and and uh, viability okay and i'll never forget one of the first days out here i got a call from a grower who is uh not too far from us and we both know him and he called and he goes, hey, I need some warranty work. And I said, well, what's your what's your serial number? He goes, what do you need that for? Well, anyway, come to find out, he wasn't getting service from his local dealer. It was painted green and he wanted me to help him with that. I said, I can't do that. I said, it's not a, it's not a forge. There is black flexible. It's made in Saskatoon. I've been to the plant. I'm like, but it's painted green and not gray. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> And so that lasted about seven years. Uh, so now we're coming, what, to the mid-2000s? Yeah, so uh, correct. Um, so that lasted seven years. Uh, long story short, I got rift, uh, reduction in force. Uh, unceremoniously, uh, Case New Holland, uh, CNH New Holland primarily, again, because we, we dealt directly with uh, Saskatoon, d- dealt directly with, with Italy, I guess. Okay. And... Um, uh, I, I was rift and uh, had a midlife crisis, 40 years old, miles to feed, and I didn't have a job. But lo and behold, um, crop insurance industry was calling again. And, and uh, actually, the company that I left uh, was needing a field rep. And uh, we left on good terms. And lo and behold, I got rehired and uh, spent a couple of years with them again back in the Northwest, building up the uh, book of business. Uh, I then uh, was promoted to a branch manager position, uh, which relocated us to Fresno for four years, and that was 03. So we were moving to California during the peak of the housing boom, trying Mm -hmm. to get into a house, and prices are escalating every day. Anyway, we were there four years, and I say uh, we got out on good behavior. I mean, I, I enjoyed the time in California, but 
uh, you're always in a hurry and always standing in line and things yep. are mercy expensive. Yep. Uh, so yeah, anyway, so at the end of four years, um, the person that replaced me back in the field in the Northwest had left the company and I really wanted to get back again after that HR experience uh, in, in the uh, early 90s. And again, in the, it was the same scenario where it, that's just not for me. So I uh, we relocated back to uh, this time we moved back to Walla Walla because uh, it was more central on territory. And uh, I was actually tired of shoveling snow uh, in Spokane. So we yeah. lived here and, and moved here. And um, like I said, so peak of the housing market when we moved in there and then in seven when we're leaving, uh, houses are crashing and we're trying to get out from under a house and uh, just the excitement of all that. But uh, anyway, been here. Um, and then uh, matter of fact, next month, it'll be 10 years that I was approached by one of my customers that uh, I was calling on an agency that had a, an idea of, of starting a brand new agency from scratch and um, they asked if I'd be part of that. So I said, yay, and here we are uh, almost 10 years later to the date that, I mean, it's fl it's flown by, goodness, flown by. I know, yeah, I've been with uh, CLA now 11 plus years and it feels, sometimes it feels like it's 11 days and other times it definitely feels like 11 years, but it's more, <laughs> more, more like 11 days, it seems like, uh, especially as you and I get older, it seems like time just goes a little quicker. Yeah. You know, my grandfather, um, you know, he used to say, I remember once traveling with him in the car and I was, I don't know, five, six, seven years of age. And uh, he just asked me a question. I go, I can't wait till I get to be 21. He goes, why? He goes, I don't know. I just, 21 seems to be the age. And he goes, he goes, son, slow down. Time flies and the older you get, it goes faster and faster. And I just never forget that where, you know, as a young kid, you can't get old enough to, you know, drive right. a car or do whatever yeah. it is. And he's like, you know, tap the brakes a little bit because it just goes by too fine. And now having grandkids and, and you can see that now as well, that you've got a couple grandchildren. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you can see in, in, in each and every time you see them, how fast and quickly time flies. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, we're uh, taking care of our granddaughter and her grandson right now. And my wife loves it, but man, she's tired. So yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, def definitely know that. So uh, she goes, how in the world did we raise four boys? Because all of our boys are two years apart and they were definitely boys. And and I said, well, we were younger and, you know, you just dealt with it. And if there's blood spurting, no big deal. Now, if my grandson gets a little bruise on his on his elbow, my wife's panicking. It's like, hold on, time out. It's just yep. a bruise. Don't worry about it. But she goes, well, it's not my kids. And I know, I know, but they'll be fine. So, uh, but, uh, so, so the company you're with now is um, McGregor Risk Management. Uh, that's the name of it. And it provides crop insurance, basically what, in the Pacific Northwest or just go through what uh, the territory and, and, and what you're doing there. Sure. Uh, yes, McGregor Risk Management, and and what the uh, company was, frankly, is a a, a dream and and a um, I guess the putting together of two companies. Uh, we're actually an LLC, uh, the McGregor Company, which regionally is well known as an ag supplier. Yep. Um, and uh, so that name was taken, and frankly, uh, access to those customers. 
because as a new company starting out, we had, uh, you know, again, you're just cold calling on whoever fogs a mirror and, and see yep. if there's interest, right? Yep. The, um, uh, the backside of the other half of that is, is from an agency. And again, uh, they're both third generation entering fourth. Uh, so they've got similar history and longevity and, and have the same uh, ideals and aspirations of how to take care of customers. And that was appealing to me. Uh, again, the other partner was Stonebreaker Macquarie uh, at the time. And, and they brought, if you will, the companies along that we would need access to for success. Um, getting appointments with crop companies is relatively easy. Uh, however, the PNC side of things, the property casualty side, getting appointments there, everyone needs volume commitments. Yep. And when you're a greenhorn starting out, it's difficult to meet some of those obligations. So the partnership, you know, from the outside looking in, I thought was was very good just because of what it offered. We had a customer base to call upon, you know, to to solicit, frankly. And from there, we had the companies of a, uh, major companies that, that are well-recognized and, um, you know, would be already companies that some of the customers we would be working with uh, had their, uh, had their uh, coverages with. So on, on the crop insurance side, cause that's what I want to sort of key in on, sure. you know, PNC, I, I hate to say it, Curtis, but PNC isn't that sexy to me. So you know, the property <laughs> casualty side is not that sexy. And I'm not sure if crop insurance is that sexy, but it's got to be sexier than PNC insurance. So uh, uh, over on that side, what are some of the key things that farmers maybe don't understand about crop insurance? Or, uh, or maybe one thing we can start off with is how is that Discover, I call it the discovery price. How is that price typically determined uh, to let the farmer know, hey, here's the price of corn or wheat or beans or whatever it might be? How is that typically done? So uh, I'll, I'll answer that second bit. First, I'll, I'll address your sexy, uh, your sexy policy. You know, unfortunately, you're not alone in, in your assessment and uh, of, of an insurance policy. I actually met with the did a review with a winery that we insure and and she goes you know I love seeing you she said but I hate this day and <laughs> and there's just so much legalese and and policy language that I think people don't fully understand because uh, again for me I deal with it every day so it's so it's not difficult but typically you or the common consumer they pull their policy out how often at renewal or if they've yep. got a loss and and yeah. otherwise it's on a shelf and and stashed away and you got to blow the dust off of it. But uh, uh, anyway, to to answer your question about the discovery period, specifically for you know a predominant crop in our region is is soft white winter wheat, and uh, there is a discovery period typically prior to the pending sales closing, and it's prior to the season of use. So for example. Uh, Midwest corn, soybeans, cotton, et cetera. I think cotton. Uh, I don't write any cotton in, in Washington, Oregon, or Idaho yet. But um, the discovery period is the month of February. And then yep. prices are to be released by RMA um, no later than 
10 days before sales closing. So 315 sales closing trip typically for your row crops. And so prices are announced in, in early March for wheat. And, and back up, they use the Chicago Board of Trade as, as their uh, uh, trading mechanism to, to establish pricing. And that's typically the December for corn. It's the December contract of that year, correct? I mean, if it's uh, uh, that's that's my understanding. I, I think I, I yes, or at least I know the harvest price is based on December. Maybe I thought I, I was well, that doesn't really matter. Was in there somewhere or, or November maybe? But I, I, I again, I. I we don't write any any corn locally. Yeah. So let's talk so, about wheat. Uh, again, for uh, me, wheat's more sexy than corn. I hate to tell my viewers out there, but uh, I grew up as a wheat farmer. So let's yes, let's, let's deal with wheat. So that, that's that's where uh, that's where my heart is at as well. Growing up uh, the same. Uh, so so wheat uh, for for our region uh, because there is not a a active trade for soft white. The Chicago soft red market is used, and it's the month of September yep. uh, looked at for delivery. Okay, so for our region to establish the prices, they look at prices from mid-August through mid-September. So August fifteenth, August to September fifteenth, and uh, use that Chicago price. And then to establish a price for the Northwest, again, this is fall wheat. Spring wheat is a little bit different. Well, I'll touch on that momentarily. They'll add to that price the five-year basis differential between Chicago and Portland. So that is what establishes our, our uh, projected price for the coming year. Is that a simple average of the basis then? So if it's yes. been... If it's been an average of a dollar over, then you're going to take that you're going to take that soft red price at a dollar. If it's fifty cents under, and it's rarely ever been under, typically it's been over. Um, so that's that's just a simple average of that five year uh, basis. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, it's just okay. a simple straight straight average, not Olympic scored, but it's a five year average. And uh, like I said, so this coming year, and so when the prices uh, start coming out, uh, you know, the first of uh, trading, which is, you know, August 15th, 16th in there. You can watch that. But then right at around Labor Day, about halfway through, is when they update the basis. And so then that price may change. I remember, um, was it last year or the year prior, where we were trading, 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 and then suddenly the following uh, market close, I think it would have been Tuesday after Labor Day, the price had jumped up like, 30 40 cents i'm like markets didn't change and i went back and looking like oh okay it's basis differential so yep. halfway yeah. through they, they'll update the basis to reflect that for the coming year and then is there a volatility factor that's involved too the, the, there is there is a volatility factor again for all markets and um uh, the best way i can explain it how it's been explained to me is the volatility factor is the measurement of price fluctuation during the most recent five days of trading. And so the more volatile those prices are and the higher the prices are, the greater that volatility factor. And so for reference, uh, 20, 
2021 crop, uh, the volatility factor for spring wheat was uh, in the high teens, uh, 16, 17, 18, somewhere around there. And this year, when when the price was established, it's in the low 20s. So right. that percentage alone, again, increase in price as well, but that change in volatility significantly in, impacts the um, the premium calculation. Well, you know, when I started, gosh, way back in the dark ages, uh, the company I was working for had made scratch pads, and there was a six step simple calculation. You take the price times the rate times your coverage level uh, times your bushels and you would come up with a premium. Now it's a logarithm algorithm that, that has a, I mean, it's computer generated only. I mean, it, it can't be done longhand. And to try and explain to growers, well, just how does this volatility affect premium and cost? I, I can't do it other than say, well, if it's high, it's going to impact an increase. And, you know, it's the measure of the last five days is, is, is as close and as best as I can do. Um, before I forget, I want to talk a little bit about spring wheat. Spring wheat for our region, and again, it doesn't matter if it's white or red in the fall or white or red wheat in the spring. Fall wheat utilizes the soft red price out of Chicago, again, basis, whereas for spring wheat, we utilize Minneapolis uh, price. Again, whether it's white wheat or, or red wheat that's grown and planted, doesn't matter. It utilizes the Minneapolis uh, Green Exchange for uh, price determination of both projected and the harvest price. Okay. And so back to that volatility. So if we have, let's say we go back to maybe 2017 or 18 when the price of wheat is low and the average daily trading range is maybe 10 cents and, you know, $6 wheat and 10 cent range, the volatility might be low teens, mid teens. But we come forward, like you say, to 2022 in spring wheat, where now we got $12 wheat. And instead of a 10 cent swing during the day, we have a 40 cent swing or a 30 cent swing. That's what's driving that volatility number to go up. Yes, sir. That is correct. And, th and then that directly affects the amount of premium that you have to pay because, you know, the insurance company is saying, hey, we have more risk here. Is that essentially what they're saying? We got a lot more risk because of the of the change in pricing and, and the volatility associated with that contract. Yeah, that, that is correct as well, Paul. And and that's that in effect is a nutshell is that the more wildly the market swing in price, the, the greater impact it has on, on the volatility factor. Again, looking at the last five days of trading. So um, it, it, uh, it it can significantly impact uh, the, the premium rate associated for, for crop insurance premiums. Now, we're a little bit more unique out in this area when it comes, because my memory was, wasn't it last year or was it the year before, when you come to that harvest price? Or explain to me, wasn't there an issue with the fact that the Portland price was not determined, or the price that the, let's say, the local grain elevator was posting for a cash price versus what was coming out? There was some issues there. Uh, if you remember that, go through that. Well, uh, I got to be careful what I say because <laughs> it, I, I've got a strong. Well, I'm 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 very opinionated. How's that? And it seems like the older I get, the uh, the more opinionated I am. Um, to your point, yes, sir. No, that was I, last I think year. Curtis, the older you get, it's not that you get more opinionated. You just don't care as much. Well, so. there's truth to that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I care. I just don't care what others think. How's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. I mean, and, and that's obviously tongue in cheek. So, yeah. so yeah. So the, the prices that um, you know the local elevators post are Portland. Again, obviously, you got to take off the the trans cost to get there. I mean, depending yep. on where you're at, it's you know fifty five cents, it's seventy five cents up on the High Line or or whatever it is. But so the prices that were being posted, and then what came back from RMA as the averages of of what was quote unquote the cash offers that were tendered and and agreed to or accepted in Portland were vastly different. Um, I actually went to a to a local uh, buyer and I said, hey, I'll bet you guys have records showing what the cash price is over the last however many years. Oh, yeah. How long would you like to go back? So anyway, I said, let's give me 10. They provided. And so I went back and looked at what the cash offer was at you know the local elevator which is again reflecting of portland and i compared that to what the average was then posted by rma mm -hmm. and each and every year it was within at most a nickel swing right you know sometimes one or two pennies nickel well then this year comes out and we're you know 30 40 50 75 cents and i'm like what's the deal um the answer provided is that let me think this through is that well we can only use again what, what we were told and i think this came through through walk through the washington association of, of wheat growers was that rma is now only posting member buyers to uh, of, of the price and so that the the price being posted at the local elevator may or may not reflect the um and i forget uh the who who like i said they've got a a name or a group that they're and, and i forget the the name of that so i apologize but um saying so that it, well so it was a very narrow group of of members that they were using in order to post that price Yep. Yeah. They they were they weren't using all traders, quote unquote, and now only using uh, selected traders or approved traders. And I'm like, well, when did this change? Well, it's always been that way. Well, why, if we've yeah. been tracking within a nickel, give or take, how how is it that we're seventy five cents off this year? And and, and they, really, they didn't they have had, an yeah they didn't have an answer. So uh, uh, and and obviously last year for our region is probably what the largest crop insurance payout ever for this region is that an accurate statement yeah, as far yeah. as the wheat Two, side yeah 2009 was was huge as well just because of that significant price drop that we experienced um but i think last year was probably larger in the fact that most everyone cut 50 to 60 percent of a normal crop and then we had that you know tremendous run-up in pricing and i i think it could have been i mean Again, grassy knoll theory, right? If if you pay in what would have been comparatively price wise in, in other years, you would have probably added another fifty to seventy five cents on every bushel paid. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
again, that's grassy knoll, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, of course, this year, likely based on the weather we've had, um, this may go down as absolutely hardly any uh, insurance payments going out for the wheat crop this year. Is that is that almost an accurate statement too? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, the 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 moisture that we've received, it's been a pretty narrow band. Um, and, and just yesterday, Washington USDA announced three primary counties as disaster areas because of drought still. So that, that's true. That's true. So really, we've been sort of a southern zone, which is where you and I live, has gotten a lot of rain that more northern zone really like i say a lot of those counties are still in drought yes sir so again for for our listeners um if you go from spokane highway 2 runs west primarily through uh, a town of wenatchee and to the cascades north of seattle that that highway 2 line really hasn't been receiving i I think this last weekend uh two weeks ago they received some rain but primarily with all the rains that we've received um they've not gotten anything or maybe a tenth where uh, and we share a mutual customer that's in the foothills you know since the first of april they've had nearly 12 inches of rain and you know it's just incredible the amount of rain received i mean it's a blessing but it's been a pretty narrow band uh running like said south west to northeast across the southeast corner of the state well, and, and like, you know, drought up there. And then just last week or a week and a half ago, we had flood warnings here in Walla Walla yes, and, sir. and Umatilla County. Uh, you know, Mill Creek was overflowing and so on. But I, I, I think there's a chance this year for those good regions that uh, in, in I think a lot of the wheat growers that are listening to this probably don't understand that uh, we may have dry land wheat yields this year that could, I don't think they'll hit 200 bushels per acre, but I, I think easily 180 to 190 this year is very achievable. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, 2020, uh, yeah, 2020, we, you know, we had some pretty record yields throughout the region. Yeah. Uh, and I, I and this week right year, now looks, yeah, this this looks better than 2020. For, for I, least, I agree with that. Uh, at, at least when you're driving by on the road, it looks that way. So Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and you know, the, the beauty of it is, I mean, here we are the uh, 23rd of, of June. And typically, our area would be talking about harvest starting uh, in, in 10 days. You know, yep. typically the, the first day following the fourth. Yep. Uh, the crop is just now beginning to color in the beard. So... We're at minimum what three weeks away, depending on what the weather does. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, so, I'm, I'm saying more like almost four weeks. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, you're right, and and I think some of the areas just because of of the weather, coolness in that we've had, and the lack of uh, growing degree days. Uh, I, I remember in '89 when we moved out here, you know, just traveling across the region to see if this is where we wanted to, you know, lay our set up the family again. Um, they had trouble getting the crop off. It was Labor Day weekend we were out, and there was still wheat in the field that was, frankly, growing in the heads because of the cool, wet weather and, you know, harvest. Uh, they couldn't get it off timely, and I, I hope that's not where we're looking at this year, but uh, it's certainly a possibility. You know, the the trend or the weather trends I've heard are a little warmer than normal and drier than normal for the next 90 days, and that's actually what we need. 
you know, we don't need any more moisture, at least in the down in our area, maybe, uh, maybe farther north than needed, but we need some heat. And, you know, we're going to get 80s, 90s, you know, Tri-Cities area is going to hit 100, but only for one day. And typically by the end of June, well, last year, let's go last oh. year, Curtis, what do we have, 120? Uh, yeah, you know, I, uh, June June 24th, I think it was, we were out adjusting a hail loss. And uh, I think the high for that day was, what, 118, 120? And yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was miserable, miserable. Yeah. Well, Curtis, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for a sponsor message, and then we're going to come back and and, and sort of do a discussion on the Russia-Ukraine uh, situation, and then I'll let you uh, uh, get back to your day. So we'll go ahead and take a break right now. Get timely updates about taxation, accounting, succession planning, and other issues that are unique to farmers and agribusiness processors. Find out about major agribusiness events and how to comply with new laws that affect your business. Subscribe to Farm CPA at blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness and experience the CLA promise. blogs.claconnect.com forward slash agribusiness. Welcome back to the Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Paul Niefer, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Curtis Evananko. Um, Curtis, you know, we've sort of talked about crop insurance. We've talked about uh, your history, but due to the fact that you, you do have a Ukrainian background, I'm just curious if you could share with the listeners some of your thoughts on, on this Russia-Ukraine situation that's going on. Mine a word, Boris is bad. How's that? Yeah, I, yeah. I think back to uh, uh, the Bullwinkle show, and they had Boris Badenov and Natasha, and and anyway, that's uh, I, 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 my heart goes out for the Ukrainian people. Obviously, um, I, I think the, the the problem the the problem that I see is is for me personally the distrust the distrust I have in the media. I, I don't know what's real anymore. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, if if the pictures, you know, you hear reports, well, this is a from a movie set and this is from. Uh, but I, I think the bottom line, number one, obviously, there, there's not grain moving uh, because of, of the blockade and, and mining and whatever else. Uh, you know, Boris is targeting infrastructure, taking out terminals, uh, train stations, tracks uh you know population centers etc and you know that, that's just that, that's a humanitarian disaster yeah. Uh, yeah you know i think the other thing too is that you know the reports i've, I've taken in a few uh, uh webinars where they've actually uh, again through k-state but uh where they've brought in a uh they've, they've got a resident um professor who actually was from Ukraine and one of the universities there. And I've listened to some of her talks and, and she believes, you know, and, and what her assessment has been is that, you know, a good majority of the crop is planted. The problem is, is that most of the farmers are fighting, you know, yeah. they, they take a weekend off to go home and, and, um, and, and, and plant the crop or do whatever they need. I'm like, well, since when does war take a weekend off? 
Yeah, um, yeah. You know, exactly. that, that doesn't make sense to me. But I, again, I think in um, one of the figures, if, if I remember correctly, roughly 70% of the Ukrainian farmland was was in not hostile, quote unquote, uh, hands where, you know, should be planted, should be should be grown and, and harvested. I, I think the problem is, is that getting that crop from the field to the market and, and with the blockade, uh, there's roughly 20 million bushels or metric tons. I don't know whatever they're measuring, it's but metric that's tons, still in storage. Sure. Yeah. And so if you're able to harvest this year's crop, assuming fuel is available, uh, you know, the war effort's going to require fuel. Yep. I mean, we remember what I, I wasn't alive at the time, but the, during the effort of, of World War II and how, you know, fuel was was saved for the troops and for, for the effort. But how do you get fuel back to there if you're able to harvest it? Can you get it out of the field? I mean, there's, there's rumors and talk of, of landmines you know the fields are being mined well how many combines are you going to blow up um, yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah I, I, anyway so um, well like you say with all that grain from 2021 crop that's still sitting in storage you got the new crop coming on where is it going to go i mean if if you haven't moved out that grain uh, you know you're going to fill up those facilities very quickly even it that's assuming they haven't been bombed correct so, yeah, Correct. Yeah. Well, there's Biden bins going over there, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, well, you know, I, I think there's some talk of, of putting in the, uh, uh, and we've had some growers local here. I know in the Midwest, it's, they're very popular. We're using the uh, uh, the temporary bins, you know, the plastic right. uh, yep. tubes and what have you. And, and I think that's great on a short term thing, but I, I don't know that you can get them through winter because I, I've talked with guys that use them. They go, if a single hole gets in there and, and deer have a tendency to congregate at these things, because yeah. there's always some spillage, right? Yeah. So yeah. so they know that there's are like, hey, I've got soybeans here, or I got wheat, or I've got corn, or I've I've got vittles. I'm gonna go and and gosh, if I put my horn or my foot in this, look, there's more. It's yeah. like skittles <laughs> running amok. And uh, so I, I don't know if I've answered your question, Paul, but I I, I think that um I think there's some grain that that's been planted and grown. I, I think what's going to be short. I, I think the wheat's in, but I think maybe you know because most of that was fall planted. Uh, yep. And yep. and I think maybe more towards the row crop side, spring crops. Uh, some of the reports that that I've been trying to to glean through suggest that what's in storage is mostly corn that hasn't been shipped. Which, uh, but bottom line, and, and to your point regardless of what's been shipped or not, there's less capacity because of carryover crop, but also because of what's been destroyed. Yeah, yeah. And do you think Do you think the bottom line, well, that's probably not the right term, but do you think the end result of this conflict is that Russia will end up with the eastern part of Ukraine and maybe all the way over through Odessa, that southern, you know, you know get all the Black Sea, um, part of Ukraine, or is it still too soon to really know? I, I, I think it's too soon to know, but I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Peter Zion and, yep. and some of his uh, writings and musings. I mean, he, he's a pretty strong advocate of, of you know, uh, the various uh, countries and, and what they got to do to protect themselves. And, and he's been saying for some time that 
you know, Russia is going to expand its borders because they've got a aging demographic. Yep. And the only way to do that is get to the mountains. Well, you look at where the mountains are, it's beyond Ukraine and it's, you know, it's Poland and all that stuff. So I, I, I don't know, but I, I think there's there's an end game in sight that it's not just this eastern chunk of Ukraine. I mean, that may yeah. be initially. I mean, w- what did Crimea do for? Yeah, 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 exactly. I just hope it ends soon and, uh, you know, we can get back to some stability in this in this world, I mean, one with the markets, but also with, you know, again, those that are dependent on the Ukrainian wheat shipments or grain shipments, and and it's primarily the the African poorer countries that are dependent yeah. on that. I mean, yeah. Anyway, it it's just got bad written all over it. Yeah, totally agree. Well, Curtis, this this has been a good good discussion. Actually, we didn't talk too much about farming we talked about crop insurance and so on so it is sort of a interesting to have a little bit different discussion is there anything else that you want to bring up before we sign off yeah i guess i'd, I'd like to talk about a couple things uh, specific to our region i mean i've had a lot of guys ask customers and, and otherwise ask about um what's happening with the 21 crop will there be a will there be a yield exclusion coming as we had in 14 and 15 and uh, the policy the crop insurance policy does allow for and, and again my understanding of of the qualification is that if the current year's crop is less than 50 percent of the 10-year average of the crop for the county then the ye kicks in again as determined by rma and uh, our, our actuarials for the 2023 crop year for wheat will be released here at the end of the month. So I would say as early as next week, we may have an indication of whether uh, the 2021 wheat crop and other crops, frankly, they're all down in across the region will qualify for the yield exclusion. So I know others in the Southern Plains are using that a lot just because of their continued drought and and uh, yeah, yield. Is there a, yeah, is there a separate for spring versus winter wheat on that? Uh, yeah, so it'll be by by type, so spring wheat type, winter wheat type. Um, but but I, I would I, I would I think that if if one qualifies, it'll be the entire crop will qualify. Yeah, yeah. Just because of what the yields have been for our region, so I would uh, definitely think spring crops got to qualify. I mean, oh the, yes, sir. The, the, yes, the sir. Spring crops were brutal, so uh, yeah, uh, but. Uh, uh, so that definitely would be helpful because, again, your APH, if if we have to include that yield, it reduces the amount of insurance that we can assure for. If we get to exclude that yield, then we get the 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 higher number. It, 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 am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that that's accurate, Paul. I mean, primarily you go from a ten-year database to a to a nine-year database. So. Uh, the Olympic scoring, uh, highs and lows being pitched, uh, that went away uh, several years ago. So it's just a straight 10-year average. If you uh, if there is a YE, again, that yield is booted and uh, you're just using a straight nine-year average. So does that mean for the 2022 crop that we just, you know, that we wrote a policy for that was based on that APH, including 2021, does that then get adjusted at, at harvest, so to speak, or, or what happens there? Yeah, the adjustment wouldn't occur until uh, 
next year's crop. So okay. this year's guarantee and, and approved yield is, is locked in. In effect, uh, we report our production November 14th is the deadline. So that's that's our lock-in date okay. uh, of what that uh, guarantee is going to be. And um, yeah, so, yeah, but realistically, uh, I mean, even though, let, let's say we had a goose egg for a yield, which, you know, spring wheat crops were poor. Um, the lowest it would be is 60% of the T yield for that county because there's a YA, a yield adjustment factor that helps keep, uh, and I hate to say it this way, but it's an artificial inflation of the yield so that it doesn't mm-hmm. drop to help maintain grower and customer guarantees at, at, at coverage levels, you know, that more reflective of, of what their average history is. Okay. So, okay. That, that makes sense. So, yeah. so that was one thing you had another, another thing you wanted to bring up. Oh, I'm not really sure. I think, like I said, we've covered a lot of things. Um, I guess I could talk forever because I like to talk. But <laughs> we, and we I can think, talk and about I think insurance, uh, Paul. I think insurance is sexy. <laughs> well, I also think tax is sexy. So uh, <laughs> it's so we got two sick people on this call today. Yes, so. sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, debit the credit. That's all I remember from my accounting 101 class is debit the credit. Well, and and that they're supposed to equal each other. You know, that's that's the key. Uh, uh, I I still remember reviewing a set of financial statements, audited financial statements by at that time a big eight firm, and they didn't foot. You know, the the balance sheet on the balance sheet, the assets were one number, and the liabilities plus equity didn't tie out to the ba- to the asset side. So I'm like, sure. how in the world did this get through? But it it happens once in a while. We all make mistakes. Doesn't matter we, how we, good we, you we, are. We all make mistakes. Yes, indeed. We, uh, I remember in college, a calculus class, uh, I, I had, I'd struggled with calculus, but, uh, yeah, it's not anyway, my favorite my instru- either. My instructor said, well, and I asked the question, I was like, well, how do you, you know, how do you work this for me? He goes, oh, you just grab a little wiffle dust and throw on. And I'm like, huh, where do I find <laughs> wiffle dust? It doesn't really help me. But yeah. uh, the only other thing I, I want to wrap up with is, is that, um, uh, I, I've heard some rumblings, uh, about some, oh, maybe new policies of sorts coming in. Uh, the price discovery is good, but again, I look at our our region in particular, you know, we're about $2 and some odd cents below where the market is, you know, when that price discovery is set versus where actual cash prices are. Yeah. Uh, they've been running a pilot, uh, again, in, in the Midwest, so I'm not as familiar with it, uh, but with margin coverage, and and I I think there's some there's some movement uh, at the grassroots level to see if we can expand that. Uh, now for the Northwest, we're uh, we're at the end of the uh, at the end of the milk run, so wheat wouldn't see anything this year. Uh, perhaps there may be a pilot coming out for for the uh, row crops, uh, you know, predominant corn and beans, and then maybe expansion from there. So I I, I think. Uh, like the dairy program, again, uh, I'm not involved with right and dairy coverage, but they utilize a, a margin, dairy margin coverage. And I think looking at where our input costs are today versus where they were, you know, six months ago, a year ago, yeah, there's got to be some additional uh, help or maybe some, some programs uh, made available with crop insurance to help address some of that. So um, anyway, yeah. we'll see. We'll see what comes. 
actually from personal experience i did take advantage of the margin insurance on my corn and beans in both iowa and missouri last year you know that's a fall you sign up for it in the fall um you know i i the price on corn and beans was i'm going to say fairly low but you know at that point we hadn't had the huge run-up in in inputs so i i think i still have a pretty good margin that was locked in my only concern and i don't know if that's the correct word is the calculation of the input side you know what they're using for input the diesel and the fertilizer and so on a little bit of a black box you just can't you know with with the price side i can go to the futures and get the price but with the input side you know what what is that input number and as of right now i, I just can't calculate that maybe i i need to do a little bit more work on that but uh, we'll find out what i've heard is it sounds like we're definitely in the money because i I definitely paid up for it. I think I got 105%. You're able to oh, pay well. up to, to 105. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Well, you, you you sound like a typical consumer with insurance. I mean, I'm paying <laughs> premiums, so I should be paid losses, right? <laughs> no, no, no. I'd rather not get paid losses, but uh, yeah, no, uh, I, I I'm 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 teasing. So, but but again, you hear that often for for some. But it, and again, I I think like you said before, the run up in, in inputs. I, I just think that that's something that is being looked at and, uh, you know, if it can be fit. So some of my frustration with the peas for our region, the price discovery on the revenue for peas, it, again, it's a black box. It, it's you can't see the daily average or trade that these numbers are based upon. And, and yeah. for me, I, I want to know where things are trending. You know, are they looking, you know, up, down, in between and uh when it is a black box it just for me it creates a lot of uncertainty and like well how do i know this is where are they getting this number from yeah yeah like i say a little bit of the grassy knoll so you yes, know sir. you, yes, you worry about that a little bit well again uh, curtis thanks a lot uh i i guess being uh washingtonians both of us being washingtonians uh maybe i've enjoyed this a little extra but uh, for the audience out there they're like oh we don't care about washington let's talk about <laughs> uh, iowa corn and soybeans but uh, we'll, we'll do that next week so again yes, curtis curtis thank you very much my, my pleasure paul and remember walla walla plays so nice they named it twice <laughs> exactly and uh, then this is the uh Farm CPA podcast presented by Top Producer. This is uh, Paul Neifer uh, signing off. <laughs>